Thank you very much, uh, music team. So good. I actually wanted to stay in my seat and just continue uh, the singing together. Actually, I didn't want to stay in my seat. I wanted to stand up, rise up, and, and stand and sing. So good. So good. Church, it is good to be together this morning. It's been one of those weeks. It is a week that I have just been longing for and looking forward to this time together. It's been a good week preparing the message. Oh, and it's been tough too. And I am so thankful, Brandon, for your time, your energy, the effort, the thoughtfulness that you put into putting together the song package like that this morning. And uh, it's not just thrown together, obviously. The words are thoughtful, and I hope that you already, just in hearing the lyrics or singing the lyrics, that the truth of the Word of God has spoken into your hearts this morning. And you have already, if your ears have been open, you have already heard the Word of God spoken to you. And you have sung that to yourselves, and you have proclaimed that truth over yourself as you sing those words. Oh, sing it out loud, or maybe you just are reading those words. And you're speaking truth uh, into your heart. So, so good. So good. We are in a series called Nurturing a Culture of Goodness. And perhaps if you came through these doors, you saw those big black letters out there that spelt the word nurture. You see that? Have you seen that over the last few weeks? Anybody? Go ahead and raise your hand. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. Okay. There's three of you. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I would encourage you next time to walk out these doors, take a look around. The word nurture is up there. That's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. Uh, we planned that. Jason and I, we uh, were sitting down early this summer, and we were thinking about the sermon series for the fall. Uh, and this is based upon a book that we had both written by Scott, Mc, uh, we had read by Scott McKnight called A Church Called Tove. Tov, T-O-V, uh, and that's a little Hebrew word that means good, good. And we thought, that would be a good series, to speak on the goodness of God, uh, to preach and teach on, on, on goodness and deal with topics like uh, that would encourage us, that would help us develop, that would help us to nurture all, in all of us the calling as God's uh, image bearers. And so what we have desired to do and what we continue to desire to do in, in the few weeks that we have remaining in this series is for us to kind of think about and how to nurture a culture of goodness in our lives. Because that's what we want, but even more important than what we want, that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for us as individuals. That's what God wants for us as a church, that we would nurture a culture of goodness in our lives. If you're new to church or you're new to SCMC, uh, one of the things sometimes we can, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking when we go to church for the first time. Let me tell you something, hopefully that this will ease your mind a little bit this morning, is that we don't want anything from you. But we do want something for you. We want something for you. We hope that uh, through the course of this morning, through the course of you know, visiting in the foyer before and after church, that you would experience a sense of welcome here, 
that you would experience a sense of belonging here, that you would experience the love of Jesus displayed in and through Jesus' people, God's people. That is what we want for you. We've been looking at this nurturing a culture of goodness, and we've been talking about empathy, and we've been talking about grace, and we've been talking about compassion, and last week we talked about truthfulness or authenticity. Uh, we want these characteristics to be on display in our lives because these values, as they are on display in our lives, they are the foundation for nurturing what we want to go after today. And that is that we would be a people-first culture. That SCMC would be a people-first culture. Uh, one of my favorite movies in the last uh, three years or so, maybe it would be even on, in the top ten of my all-time favorites, is the movie by the name of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Does that ring a bell to anybody? It's a movie about Fred Rogers. Uh, perhaps you know him more as Mr. Rogers, as he is famously known. Uh, when I read about and, and, and watch the movie, what I came to understand about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, is that he was bullied as a child. He was excluded from the crowd. And so he grew up knowing what it meant to be the underdog, to know what it meant to struggle to fit in. And as an adult, he used his ministry training, he used his, his experience in, in, in music and his gift in music and his child development together with his Christian faith and the virtues of generosity and kindness and patience and compassion that were taught in his home to create a unique television show that ran for 33 years, focusing on the emotional, moral, spiritual, and the intellectual life of children. Speaking before the United States Congress in 1969, Fred Rogers explained his mission and he said this, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to every child to help him realize that he is unique. And I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being here. Actually, that would be a great way to end the service today or when you leave today. You've made this day a special day just by your being here. He goes on to say this, there's no person in the whole world like you. And I like you just the way you are. Fred Rogers passed away from stomach cancer in February of 2003, three weeks before his 75th birthday. And many people who knew Fred Rogers said that he was the same person behind closed doors as he was in the studio and as he was on screen. They said there was no duplicity in his character. In his biography of uh, Fred Rogers, Maxwell King wrote, Fred Rogers never ever let the urgency of work or life impede his focus on what he saw as basic human values. And that is integrity, Respect, responsibility, fairness, compassion, and kindness. In other words, Fred Rogers was people first. You see, goodness starts always in the heart. 
It starts in the hearts of individuals who then work together with others of like-mindedness to create a culture of goodness. How do we nurture a, a people-first culture here at SEMC? I, I, I want to suggest five things this morning, and we're going to try to get through those re really quick. Um, but I also want to give us some time for this. The first one is this, that we would treat people as people. We nurture goodness here at SEMC when we accept one another for where we are at. And we help each other to become what God has designed us to be. How, how do we do this? Here's some practical ways that I see our congregation doing this. We treat people as people when we recognize that maybe we haven't seen them for a while and we send them a text or we give them a phone call and we say, hey, you know what, I missed you this last week. Or, hey, you know what, I, I miss our times that we used to spend together and I sure would love to catch up again and, and, and reconnect with you. Because when we do that simple act, we are treating people as people and we're treating them like they are, that they are valuable. Many of you call the office and, and, and you see these requests in the bulletin, but you, you call the office and you say, hey, I'd love the, the church people to, to, uh, to pray for me or to pray for us. And you put the request in the bulletin or you put it on the Thursday morning prayer uh, list. And I'll tell you what, maybe many of you don't know this, but we have a group of people that come every Thursday morning, are very diligent in coming Thursday morning from nine, at 9.30, and they pray through that long list of requests. They don't do it because they have nothing else to do that day. They do it because they value prayer and they value you and they pray for you. And in that, because when we intercede on behalf of other people, we are treating other people as people and we're treating other people with value. Oh man, if you have some time Thursday morning, I would so invite you to come be part of that prayer team. It's open to all of you to come and to pray together. How, what a privilege it is to do that together. We work so hard here at SEMC to be a people-first culture and, and creating that environment. That's why we encourage everyone to be part of a life group where you can know others and where you can be known. I sometimes hear stories of how a person has been struggling, but it is their life group that has rallied around them in those difficult seasons, and they have provi been provided for the needs that they have had as they uh, share that with their life group, and their life group steps into that situation. You see, that is the church in action. I love that. On the other side, it grieves my heart when I hear of somebody who has been struggling for weeks, and they have not let anybody know that they are struggling in that area. Because nobody should have to struggle on their own. We want to be about people here at SEMC, and we are about people. I love it when we have a children's feature and we ask the children to, to come forward, and I love it when the children run down the aisles and they're laughing and they're, they're noisy and all of that. That is so good. I love to see the church running in this building. I love it when they ask the children the question and then there's maybe an embarrassing answer. And a little child shouts out their answer. And I love that because I hear laughter in the congregation. And we treat people as people. Young, old, value, value. Love that. 
people first. I love it when we heard the stories here, people treating people, going fishing, connecting while they fish. Out of their comfort zone, but it's somebody else's comfort zone to fish, and they gather together. They do one-on-ones together, and they teach others to skateboard. And they're looking and connecting with people, treating people with value and connecting with them on their level. You know, when I look around the congregation here, I see faces, and I know many names, and I know some history, I know some of your stories. None of us in this room are perfect. None of us have it all together in this crowd. I see people who are currently doing very, very well in their lives. I know others that are struggling. I know others have, you know, recently gone through surgeries or others that, of you that are waiting for surgery. There are some of us in this room that are dealing with addictions. There are others in here that are grieving deeply, while others maybe are living their best life now. Some are wounded, and some are healing. Some are growing in their relationship with God, and some are checking God out because they're not sure about this God thing, about this Jesus thing, and all of that. There are some here who are stagnated, or or, or maybe they're, they're even questioning their belief and their relationship with God. And yet others of you are just growing and you're hungry and you're feeding on the Word of God. You see, every single one of us in this room has a story to tell. And at the heart of treating people as people is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. This is commonly known as the golden rule. Uh, Many religions have have taken that, but they have turned it into a negative statement. And they say this, uh, if you don't want it done to you, then don't do it to others. See, that's the negative version. I like Jesus' version better because it's positive. Jesus said it in a positive way, and the positive way creates more power. Because why? Because it takes initiative to do good. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's a positive statement that requires us to take initiative and for us to be action-oriented, not to be passive. Do good to others. This is how we nurture a culture of goodness in our community here. By being active, not by being passive. By being active, by imitating Jesus Christ, we're being active because we want to be known for what we're for. Not for what we're always against, but known for what we're for. Number two, nurturing a culture of goodness by being people first means that we will be inviting others into our community. You see, relationship is all about belonging. Whether people admit it or not, we all want to belong. We all want to be invited to join others, even if we have the prerogative to say no. But we want to feel valued. We feel valued by being invited in. You know what? Here's something that might be new to some of you. But I believe that your co-workers who don't go to church, I believe they want you to invite them. I wonder if, you know, and I I sometimes visit with people who are outside of the church. And they go, you know what? I know that my co-worker is a believer, but they have never invited me to church. 
And so perhaps our coworkers would ask us, how come you never invite me? At the core of being a church that is people first, that nurtures a culture of goodness through being people first, is a commitment to be inviters, inviting other people into the community. It starts by building relationships with them, by learning their names, and then hearing their stories and, and telling them a little bit about our story as well. Right? And there's a give and take in that. And then we invite them in. How does that look? Well, maybe that looks like you inviting them into your home for a meal. Or, or maybe that means you invite them out for a meal. Uh, next week, Sunday, next Sunday, we're having a Thanksgiving dinner. Invite your coworkers to church. Invite them to come to Sunday school with you and say, hey, you know what, in fact, I don't want to just invite you. I'm going to come to your place at such and such a time. I'm going to pick you up for Sunday school. We're going to go to Sunday school together. We're going to go to church together. And then afterwards, we're going to have lunch together. It's free. See, as a church, we're already helping us out there. Lunch is already provided. And so you invite your friends. Be an inviting culture. In fact, I'm going to take this one step further. I haven't okayed this with Carly, but I might get in trouble for this one. The week after, since next week's free lunch, the week after, November 6th, if you invite a coworker who's, who doesn't have a church home and they come to church, I'll give you 50 bucks to take them out for lunch. Okay? You come up to me after church and you go, hey, Garth, man, I need 50 bucks to take my buddy out for, for lunch. And I'll give you $50. Okay, but I only have $200, so that only means four of you can ask me. Okay? Otherwise, I have to go to the bank and ask for a loan. <laughs> so, right? But let's be an inviting community. We invite people to church. Man. Building those relationships, it takes time. It takes time for people to go from being a stranger to, to being family because that's what we are right as Christ followers we're family but we bring people in we value them and we invite them in and when they get to the place where they are family to us boy we even involve them and think about them as we make decisions in our lives so we treat people as people we are inviters and the third way that we nurture goodness by being people first is to recognize that all people are made in the image of God. You see, as Christ followers, we know that God has intended every person to be his image bearer. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God, we read this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Oh, and then he goes on uh, to, to, uh, uh, with that intention. He says this, uh, here's the reason why. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, you and I have been made in the image of God with the intention that we would rule over all that he has created. Talk about meaning and purpose in life. If you don't know what your meaning and purpose in life is, it's right there. Right? And that's also a huge responsibility for us. The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That is that God is spirit. He's invisible. But God's Son, Jesus, is God's visible 
representation. That means that when God created humanity, his template for us was Jesus. Right? And we are being transformed from sinfulness into the image of Christ. The Apostle Paul talked about this in three different ways, uh, maybe so that we wouldn't miss it. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we read these words, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Or as the NIV says, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said this, So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And then Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, those who don't believe, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. You see, this is why we treat people as people because every single person that we meet is designed by God to look like Christ. Every single person we meet. And because we are designed to look like Christ, we are to give everyone we meet profound respect and honor for who they are. Even if the image of God in them has been stained or flawed because of sinful choices. Being aware that all people are made in the image of God, it means that we see their potential. Not just their present sinful condition but we see the potential in them. Again, as the Apostle Paul said to the, uh, the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 11, he said, some of you were once like that. He said, but then he said, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. How? Oh, he says this, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, it's not about us, but it's about calling on the name of Jesus, and His Spirit is moving in us and changing us. You know, I wonder sometimes if we as Christians forget where we came from. I know I have. In fact, as I was writing this Thursday night, I wrote those words and I broke down as names as faces were coming to my mind and say, Lord, I haven't treated that person as they are created in the image of Christ. Father, forgive me. Mm, yeah. That's what it sounded like Thursday night. See, we need to sometimes remember where we came from so that we can be more gracious to one another, so that we can be more gracious to the people that we meet on the streets. It doesn't mean that we ignore sin because a goodness culture will always confront sin as sin.
But the problem that often is in my life is I want to start with other people's sin instead of my own. Hmm. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at this speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And that was what was confronted, how I was confronted Thursday night. So we confront sin in our own lives. And we start by confronting this in our own lives by acknowledging who he is, that he is a holy God. And from there as we recognize that he is a holy God who can't stand sin, and yet he has dealt with the sin on our behalf because he loves us so incredibly much. And we recognize how often we fall short of his holy standard, that this would lead us to confession in our lives. That this would lead us to confession in our private times and then in our life groups as well. Oh boy. Because if we can't confess the little things in our life, there is no chance... No. If we can't confess the little things in our life, we certainly won't confess the big things in our lives. And if we can't confess even the little small things, what we think are small things in our life, then we are not living in authenticity with the Lord and we are not living in authenticity with one another. And that breaks nurturing goodness in our lives. Authenticity. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to one another so that, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I wonder if we don't experience the wonderful results in our lives because we don't practice confessing sin. When we nurture a culture of goodness, it means that we will work towards moving each other towards true repentance in our lives. It means that we will cut away everything that that doesn't reflect the glorious image of God in our lives. I remember as a young boy reading the autobiography of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, bodybuilder, bear with me for a second here. And somebody asked him, how did you get to, you know, sculpt your body? He said, I wanted to cut away everything that didn't belong to the image that I wanted to have. I thought, man, that hit me at a young age. That's what I want in my Christian life too. I want to cut away everything that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ properly in my relationship with him. The fourth way that we nurture goodness by being people first is by treating people as siblings. I mentioned back in September that the most common phrase that the Apostle Paul used when when speaking to the Christian believers, to the church, uh, it wasn't to call them church, it was to call them brothers and sisters. And in this small little letter, to Philemon, you find that just before the book of Hebrews in our scriptures, in our New Testament, Paul was telling Philemon that he was going to be sending Onesimus back to him, the the runaway slave. He was going to send him back to his owner, Philemon, telling Philemon, welcome Onesimus back, because he said he is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. The desired result of training or treating other people as people is to begin to see them as brothers and sisters. Paul had in his mind that 
the body of Christ would no longer operate according to uh, ethnic or social or, or gender status when he wrote this in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, uh, Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are siblings, united in Christ Jesus. And so we honor one another as people because we know that we are image bearers of God and we belong to Him. Maybe this whole thing of siblings doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you didn't have a sibling or maybe you grew up with siblings but your relationship with them wasn't all that great. But here's what uh, we're talking about here. We're, we're looking at God's standard for what a healthy family is to look like, and we are to strive for that in the church family. I read these a couple weeks ago to you again, but it bears repeating again. Here's some of the one another's that we find in Scripture. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, encourage one another, serve one another, bear with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, teach and admonish one another. Love one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Be sympathetic to one another. Show hospitality to one another. Oh, and the list would go on and on. Nurturing a culture of goodness means that we love people and we want only what is best for them. And let me quickly give you a fifth one here is that we develop Jesus-like eyes for people. You see, when Jesus looked at people, he saw past their outward appearances, and he saw their heart. He looked beyond the posturing, and he, and he looked beyond the self-protective cover-ups that we often put on, and he saw their real needs. And the word that the Gospels often uses in this sense is the word compassion. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 4, moved with compassion Jesus reached out and he touched him and he said, I am willing, he said, be healed. You see, the gospel writers knew that Jesus was filled with compassion. How? Because when they would say he was filled with compassion, that's an emotional response that requires action. Every time the writers use the word compassion with Jesus, they also told, tell us what he did. He healed them. He cured them. He cleansed them. You see, Jesus' compassion prompted his action. Jesus' followers follow Jesus into action. 
We do that by imitating him, by being committed to being in relationship with one another, inviting others in, committed to being good to one another, treating each other as image bearers, as siblings, as we serve one another. Music team, would you come up and lead us in a closing song here? I hope you'll come back next week because Jason's going to talk about...